Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode number 61 of Confessions of a Market Maker. I'm your co-host, Ray, a.k.a. All Day Ray, a.k.a. Daddy Warbucks. And I'm joined here by my notorious co-host, former market maker, 20 years and current day retail trader, a man who is more sought out after by the SEC than our guest here today. <laughs> I am talking about a man who's broken more women's hearts in Eastern Europe than 007. B, Gorilla of House Street, JJ. How's it going? Good, brother. How are you doing today? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. And I'm um, honored, man. Our guest today is a man who hails from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, billionaire entrepreneur, television personality, and investor. If you don't know him as the owner of the Dallas Mavericks, you might know him from the popular TV show Shark Tank. And if you still don't know him, you might know him as being the world's largest Dogecoin merchant. <laughs> of course, I'm talking about Mark Cuban. Mark, how's it going, man? What up, Ray? What up, JJ? Oh, man. <laughs> Honor, pleasure, man. The largest Dogecoin merchant in the world. Insane, Somebody's got to be, right? Somebody's got to be. <laughs> <laughs> what if, well, Mark, what's the response been? Uh, just in general, positive, negative uh, from you, you know, uh, doing this, uh, a joke coin, I guess. Yeah, it's not even really a joke coin that people can spend it now, right? It's just, I don't know if it's an investment per se, but it's fun. Um, there's an army, right? The Doge army is just out of control. They're fun. They're, you know, they're, they're together. They're trying to push that thing up. You know, sometimes it's like pushing the string, but they're, they're trying to push. And, you know, it's, it, it's just fun to be part of it, right? Because they've got a cool energy. And, you know, it's like trading stocks, right? 99% of people understand the gig. There's always the 1% on both sides of it that, that you know, don't right, quite get it. But, you know, like I said before, it's better than a lottery ticket. And if six, if, you know, we get six billion, six and a half billion Dogecoin spent on Mavs equipment, I'm going to, I'm going to do my best to get that thing up to a dollar. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Love to see it. Like, like you said, the, the energy of the movement is just, is just awesome. It's infectious. Uh, you know, you know, Mark, you, you know, you being someone who's been established uh, in business, in society, are, are, do you see an edge in uh, embracing crypto from that aspect? Because, you know, a lot of people of your age demographic either don't understand it, don't want to understand it, etc. So you're saying I'm fucking old? Is that what you're trying to tell me? <laughs> Mark, I tried to put it gently, Mark. Yeah, thanks a lot, bro. Um, no, it's like any other, you know, I've been, in, I've been in technology since I was in my 20s, right? Yeah. My early 20s. And back then, people didn't, there's some people got it, some people didn't get it, you know, and the tech dinosaurs, they die. You know, and every the younger generation picks it up and runs with it. And, and that's what happens. I mean, kids younger than you, you know that, Ray. I mean, that really get it. You're a little bit too old for that stuff. But um, <laughs> you throw it back at me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, throw it back at me. Love it. <laughs> Some gray hairs you, in that beard now. Yeah, yeah right. And, and so you, you get what I'm saying. It's just like every technology just keeps on evolving forever. Right. And so understanding crypto um, is different today than it was four years ago than it was 10 years ago, right? Because like every technology, just, let's just say saying like technology and just th thinking PCs from the IBM PC days is the same as it is now, or phones from the Palm Pilot day are the same as they are now, right? Stuff changes. And when you get into crypto now with smart contracts and the, the EIPs that are changing and evolving, you know, all the different blockchains that are competing. It's just, it's a, it's a race 
to see who can have an impact and who can change the game and disrupt the way things used to be. And so you're seeing it um, from the NFT side, you're seeing it from the DeFi side, you're seeing it from the straight up blockchain applied to business side. And, but all these things have their own juice, right? And ways to have an impact. Yeah, for sure. So a reminder to the listeners, if you guys like to join JJ and myself in a supportive community trader, join us at microefutures.com. Mark, like you mentioned, things change uh, over time. Crypto now is different than it was in 2012, 2013, et cetera. Can you tell us what your first uh, thoughts, first takeaways were when you first heard about crypto and blockchain? So initially was when um, I think 2012, in um, South by Southwest. And, you know, my first company, I wrote software and I did a lot of distributed database stuff. So, you know, when people start talking about blockchain, it made perfect sense and the decentralization and I could understand it. And then on the other side, people were talking about Bitcoin as a currency. And I was like, no, man, it is not a currency. It's too much hassle. And, you know, money's easy, right? Getting it's hard, but once you got some, it's really easy to spend, it's friction free. And Bitcoin was everything but. And then you start looking at the tech of it and just the block sizes and the transactions per second, you know, and it was always going to be something else. It was always going to be lightnings coming. It was always going to be we're going to, you know, increase the block sizes. But that led to a fork. And, you know, and I think people now. So when I first got into it, I was like crypto, you know, it was kind of like digital gold. Right. And I'm not a gold fan. Right. It's just it's a religion. Just like blockchain, it was the be- or Bitcoin, it was the beginning of a religion, right? Because people were just hype, but you couldn't really use it. And so the hype increased the value some, just like gold. And so I was like, ain't going to be a crypto, ain't going to be a currency, but it could have other uses with blockchain because blockchain is effectively, excuse me, algorithmically controlled software that has, you know, de- decentralized and distributed database applications. And I thought, okay, that had purpose. Excuse me. So right at the beginning, I was like, this is what it is, right? And then people hated on me because I would say it's not a currency and that's where the hype was. Right. And yeah, I never care where the hype is. I care about, you know, what I think is going to happen. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I don't know if people still use this as an argument against crypto. It still might be, but I guess one of the things you hear is that there's no regulatory body, you know, over the market. And I think we could probably all agree uh, SEC maybe is not the greatest uh, doing their job anyway. Uh, both, both of you guys have had encounters with the, uh, the Alphabet Boys. Uh, so is there being no regulatory body, Mark, actually a positive for crypto? You can make an argument for both sides. There's certainly a lot of positives because it can move faster and the technology will evolve. Um, and I think the positives outweigh the negatives. But I think what's happening is the crypto universe is getting smart now and they're recognizing, particularly with DeFi, you've got to accommodate for know your customer. You've got to accommodate for anti-money laundering. You know, you've got to have the security there. Um, and if you take care of those things and you don't go down the ICO road where people were selling them like they were equities, right? Like they were stocks, then, then it should work, right? Because the SEC, you know, they're all lawyers, right? And all they want to do is sue people, right, JJ? <laughs> oh, man, you know, sir, I've, I've got to tell you because I was going through the same thing when you were, except I was completely undercapitalized to mount a defense. Um, and I just got to know as you know, cause we always give advice to traders, entrepreneurs, but we never talk about facing that challenge of regulatory hurdles and having gone through that, how did you, you know, how did that impact your life when you got that Wells notice? Did it, 
How did yeah, you deal with it? And how did you keep your head up for all those years? So there's two pieces there. Like when I got the Wells nose, I just laughed at it because I knew I hadn't done anything wrong. Exactly. Right. And, you know, what happened was when when I had sold my stock in mama.com back then, because this guy named um, Irving Cott, who actually was part of the whole Wolf of Wall Street story. He's the one who would, you know, if you remember the movie Wolf of Wall Street with Jordan Belfort guy, um, um, was told, you know, here's the stocks you're selling. Yeah. The guy who was stuffing the stocks and telling him to sell, that was Irving Cott, right? Exactly, Well, I, and, I traded for those guys after that place closed down. They all became stock promoters and traded through Canada. Yeah, exactly right, right? So you dealt with that whole crew, right? Oh, and, yeah. And, and, and so, you know, I sold my shit. The minute I heard out about him, right, and I dug in and found out he was a criminal, I'm like, I don't need it, this shit at all. And then two days later, the SEC calls me, and I just tell him everything, Right. And then I get the Wells notice and I'm like, well, just look at the notes from the SEC call, you know, thinking this is going to go away in a heartbeat. They lost those notes and, you know, oh. quote unquote, lost them. Exactly. And, right. Yeah. And then they mysteriously reappeared a couple, I forget if it was weeks or months before my trial in 2013. So all this went from 2006 to 2013. Yeah. And trust me, I would wake up in the middle of the night, just so pissed off and so mad because mm -hmm. The, the shit that they were doing was just so wrong and so misguided and they dropped all the charges against Irvin Cott, you yeah. know, and, and then they came after me and I was like, what the fuck is going on? You know, this makes no sense. <laughs> they, and, they always go after the whale, right? The big name. Well, they, going yeah. And they were passing around pictures. Right? So we, we foiled them to death and um, they were packs around pictures of me and the head of um, enforcement back then Linda something or other, I forget her last name. I can't believe I'm forgetting. Um, she was like, well, a picture speaks a thousand words. This all makes sense. And that's why they were, Linda Thompson. Oh, you know, so yeah. if, if you ever get a chance, now she's in private practice. Don't deal with her. Don't spend a nickel with her. She's awful. But in any event, um, so I, I was like, what the hell are these people doing? And then I get, you know, a couple years, I think 2009 maybe, the whole thing gets dismissed in the city of New Orleans, just dismissed, right? Summary judgment. And then they come back and they bring in one of their, you know, their suits that's supposed to be really good to get it reinstated. And he lies his ass off. And they say, well, we're going to take back the summary judgment because there's a possibility based off of what this guy says is true so that we have to reinstate it. And then he writes a letter saying he got his facts wrong and he effectively saying he lied, oh right? God. I mean, it's just one thing after another. And then one of my friends um, is sitting, or a friend of a friend, not my friend, is sitting during the trial, listening to somebody who works with the SEC saying, we don't care how much money we have to spend. We're going to, exactly. we're going to get this guy, right? Exactly. Unlimited resources. And right. so, but you know what? I went to trial the trial, the whole trial took the whole, um, the jury took three hours, I think, yep. to come back to say I'm not liable. And an hour of that was lunch, you know, and, and yeah. so is what it is. And, you know, they're just so fucked up. I'll, I'll give you another quick example. There's a video that I put on YouTube. And what I, part of the problem with the SEC is they, they regulate through litigation, right? And what that means, they litigate to regulate. And what that means is they don't have any bright line laws. There's really not even a law against insider trading. It's all these precedents, right, that have been put together over the years. And unless you're an SEC's attorney or a, a, a lawyer who deals with them, 
you're not going to know those laws. I mean, how would you or why would you? And so they have the option of putting up guidelines so that anybody who's unsure of something could just go to the website, but they won't do it, right? Because that reduces the need for attorneys and they want more attorneys to get more jobs after they you know, get out and go into private practice. So I, created, I, I called up the SEC, I got the number and I said, hey, I have a question. Can I talk to somebody? And oh, by the way, this is Mark Cuban. I had you know, a, a run in with the SEC and you know, it's all settled now, but I, I just want to get a question answered. And they said, let me get back to you. And they did. So they come back to me and they said, okay, Mr. Cuban, um, go to this page on our website. And that's the process for getting a question answered. So I go to this page on the website and this is like five years ago. I don't know if it's still there. And the page says, fax eight copies of your question to this fax number. And then we'll try to get back to you when we can. That's our fucked up, that's our tax dollars dealing with the fucked up SEC. I mean, it is just, it, you could cut the cost, you could slice off half of them, and all you'd have to do is publish bright line guidelines so that people know what to do. I mean, I could tell you SEC stories all day long. There's another guy, JJ, that, um, I, again, I, I don't remember the guy's name, but this, this I, I wrote about it in a blog post on Blog Maverick a few years back. This guy goes to work every day at this railroad company. I think it's in Illinois. Mm -hmm. Just drives to work, parks in the parking lot, leaves at the end of the day. One day he sees a bunch of limos in the parking lot. Next day, he sees some more. A couple of weeks later, he sees some more. And they're a public company. He goes, maybe we're selling. So he bought a bunch of call options. Never talked to anybody or anything. He just bought the call options. Based on the fact that he saw limos, the SEC sues him for insider trading for that. Wow. Wow. And hedge funds use satellites to look at parking lots of stores. All day long, right? All and day that's long. Cool, yeah. Right? No, it's just crazy how fucked up they are. They don't wow. care. They don't care about protecting markets. I mean, look at yeah. I, I um, funded a movie um, and greenlit a movie called The China Hustle, yep. where the um, reverse Chinese reverse mergers were just ripping people off left and right. Yep. And it was just like they didn't do anything to this no. day. You don't know if the accounting of Chinese companies is exactly. To exactly. This day. exactly. You know, and, and then you've got all these ETFs that deal in foreign countries. Right. Yep. And a lot of these foreign countries have no, you know, no financial regulations whatsoever. <laughs> and people are buying and selling these things like water. Like, exactly. it is just so hypocritical. It, it's not even funny. It's it's great to get your view on this because I, I tell you, I mean, I didn't sleep. I was oh, yeah. just, you know, like the stress. I mean, I had a heart attack. And, oh. uh, and uh, which I'll let Ray go, but then we're going to get to, I want to talk about your, uh, your funding of the arterial uh, fibrillation stuff. That's yeah. pretty cool stuff. Yeah. 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 But yeah, to your point, I would wake up in the middle of the night. I would get online trying to find more and more shit about, you know, um, Irving Cott and his kids. Mm. Now they have the Highland Mint down in Miami who I already oh. know. I already know sells phony shit, right? Because someone bought so a Mavs fan, bought um, a pair of shorts that I wore um, or Jersey. I forget that I wore in the NBA all-star game I played in the celebrity all-star game. Mm -hmm. And I have them back there. <laughs> oh my God. Oh you know? my God. I mean, it's just a family. That's just yeah. the family business, right? Larceny Inc. <laughs> oh man. Larceny Inc. But yeah, no, I know that feeling, man. You just want to fight, 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 because you know, you're getting fucked over yeah. and it just, it just, you know, consumes me. It consumed me for years. 
Yeah, insane, insane, insane. It's like, and we, we talk about these Chinese companies all the time too, Jay. Yeah. Oh God. Well, going. I mean, how many of them have I taken public living in Vancouver? I mean, they were just shells. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's ridiculous. I mean, I remember one of those companies, I couldn't find the QCIP number. And then when I called the broker, you know, like find it, the company would give it to them, right? Exactly. The company, they, it was a company called Computer Marketplace. And I'm like, okay. there's no, there's no there there. There's, there's no, no company. And then we, we did this other company called Utech. And um, I had somebody call up um, the, the municipality where they, this, they just did um, a, a press release announcing this new factory doing business with China or whatever it was, right? I forget the details. And so we had somebody go to the factory to see if the lights are on. Like there's no cars, no nothing. And then we checked and there's no utilities going to this factory at all. And oh, dear God. It just pumped up, Pump. right? I mean, and that shit's there all day Dang. long. Yeah. yeah it's, Amazing. Yeah, it's incredible. Shifting gears, Mark. NBA. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love it. That was a great discussion. Oh, man. The uh, NBA Top Shots. Uh -huh. uh, huge, huge catalyst right now for the NFT market. As a whole, uh, fans are having fun with this. We're having fun with it. The players are having fun with it. Uh, what have been your observations watching all this unfold? It's fun, right? I mean, it's it's great for the NBA. It's, it's great for NFTs. Um, I think they did a couple of really smart things, the most important of which was you just buy uh, moments, NFT moments, with a credit card. You know, there's no wallets. You know, there's a wallet there, but it's all hidden. And that was just brilliant on their part. And so anybody coming in, you just put in your credit card, you know, um, and you just buy like you would a pair of socks on Amazon. Yeah. And I think that that that's the difference between what they're doing and, and everywhere else. The Nifty Gateways does it similarly. You know, they price in dollars and and that and just take credit cards and some others do. But that's the key, right? Because they've really been able to consumerize it. And even so, it's still early days. They only have like a hundred thousand customers, and that's after a, you know just. A, onslaught of, of media. Yeah. yeah, and I, and, and I know like, at least from the, uh, you know, cause we're in the community with the, the people who are real heavy invested in it. And a lot of people get worried because of oh the marketplace is shut down, but uh, it's, yeah, it's crazy. I'm isn't it? tell people it's beta and they can't handle the liquidity. That's a good thing. Right, Mark? Well, you know, there's two different things there, right? Is it still down right now? Cause it was supposed to come back yesterday. I think it's back up. I think it's back up before we came on, I believe. Oh, was it? Okay. Cause I, I think so. Yeah. So there it is. Let's read more. Cause I got, I got to check of mine. Right. <laughs> uh, no, I, yeah. I mean, it's <laughs> the, it's opening back up. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it, it's crazy because the demand wasn't off the charts, right? The PR and the publicity was off the charts, but the demand really wasn't, mm. you know, you know, cause you can go to crypto slam and just look at all at everything, right. Mm -hmm. Crypto slam.io. And, and you see all the volumes and the number of customers for any given period, because it's all in the flow blockchain. So it's easy to find and get all that data. And you see that the, the volumes relative to a regular business, if you just had 100,000 customers and your marketplace crapped out and you had to redo it. Now I get with what they're doing, you know, they're getting botted to death, right? A typical, you know, if you're selling socks, you're not going to get hit with all the, the angry bots and trying to game the system. And particularly the way they made it so that if you bought a pack, you automatically could make some money. So everybody was, was using that to make some money or try to, even though you can't get your money out. Um, and so, you know, that said, I think it's a good first place to start. Um, I think it's a good introduction, but there's going to be a lot more, you know, I think flow is a blockchain. Um, 
is getting battle tested, which is good for them. Um, and, and we'll see where it goes from there. But I think overall it's a huge positive. Yeah. 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 For sure. Huge positive. I got, I got your boy, Chris Stapps. Um, I got a card of his, uh, I was, which, uh, I was, I'm a Knicks fan too. So I, I have an opinion cool. for him. Yeah. Which series, Cause that's part of it. Now, now some of the series they put out, there's like 35,000 cards plus, right. They yeah. don't even tell you how many cards there are. Whereas before it was 15,000 or 12,000 for rookies or whatever. Yeah, it's not a, it's not a, it's not a, one of the more valuable ones. I think it's one of the 35,000 ones. 35. But what people it's funny cuz I'm in a discord with some of the people behind the scenes and, and people are speculating that the card might increase in value because it's a Luca, it's like a drive to the ba- the basket. It's like an ill drive and then he just dishes it to Chris Stapps for a dunk at the for end. A dunk. Yeah, so I know. It was exactly really all Luca. It was yeah. <laughs> so yeah, people- and there's all kinds of stuff. Yeah. yeah, so like I've started to collect I I got into it when the cards were still 2 and 3 dollars, right? So I was, I was nabbing a bunch of them. Like if I thought a player was going to be hall of fame and it was cheap right. and I grabbed one and, you know, so I've got like almost 40 of them now. Yeah. Are, are you, uh, are you much um, invested in like the physical card uh, market? I've got some, you know, I've got some just over the years I've collected or like if we have guys at the Mavs, I'll get them to sign cards. Yeah. You know, I got the, yeah, let me see. I've got some of them here that I haven't um, put in anything, but wait. So here's the original 77 for the Dallas Mavericks. What's his name? Jake, Jake um, Boskill. That's right. Jake Boskill. The original 77, the only one. See, so I got a little bit of a connection. <laughs> yeah. There you go. There you go. I, got, I had a, um, a good question I, I liked from someone in the Discord. Uh, they wanted me to ask you, is there any plans on integrating Top Shops with the uh, game experience, like live game experience? We'll, we'll definitely do something with NFTs, particularly once we start doing things with tickets, right? Once we go to ticketing on the blockchain, then we can do a whole lot of stuff by turning them into NFTs. And so it, it won't be with um, Top Shots per se, but we'll do something with NFTs. Yeah, definitely. If NFT projects or just NFT industry as a whole was to fail, Mark, what do you think the reasoning would be? I don't think it would necessarily fail because you know effectively it's just smart contracts on a blockchain. And, and so, you know, those aren't going away. Um, now, whether or not the values change, of course they will. You get, you know, any market where you have, just look at the card, the physical card market, you know, one minute, you can't give shit away. The next minute, a Luca car is selling for $4.6 million. That's just the way it works. And a lot of that is a reflection of interest rates. When, you know, you guys are traders, right? When interest rates are, you know, point, point and a half, you, you're not making any money off a savings account. You're not making any money anywhere else. So, you know, in the stock market, you know, everybody's a genius in the bull market. And, but there's, those bull markets are in everything right now, crypto, excuse me, tokens, um, NFTs. And so pretty much anything you turn to, you're going to get more than 1%. And if you're just not a start, stock market guy, but you know the NBA and you know who the players are, okay, then, then maybe moments are better if you're into art, you know, or music or whatever, or just collecting and you're part of the people community or you're part of the crypto punks community, then you're going to know what has value um, and you can find things that make money. But you know, I don't think it, any of it goes away. I just think it evolves and where people find value evolves as well. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It makes a lot of sense. You did a Q&A with uh, Wall Street Bets on Reddit. How was that experience? What are your takeaways with interacting with the community? Yeah, it's fun. I mean, I've, I've done AMAs for years, right? And so it's always fun. You get a couple of crazies, but everybody's just so passionate. And that's what I like about it, you know? And, you know, I've always been a big believer. And I wrote a, um, a blog post 15 years ago about get long and get loud and sell your book, right? And, and so that's what it's all about. And Wall Street Bets 
had some really good research early on, like on GameStop in particular. And then it got really, really loud and everybody piled in. And, you know, I think it's a positive because that's exactly what happens with big brokerages, right? Some analyst comes out and says something and then they have 20 million customers, right? And they tell the 20 million customers and, you know, before the market's even two minutes old, the stock's up 10 bucks because all the, all the customers from that brokerage are, are making money or at least buying before it really hits the market. And so, you know, that when, when small investors can crowd together and, and get that power, I'm, I'm a fan. Yeah. Uh, we, we've talked about this a little bit, me and JJ, and um, I, I've been curious to think of what maybe some of these hedge funds like counter reaction to that movement would be. What, what are they thinking? Putting yourself in their shoes, Mark, what do you think they could be like viewing that whole situation? I mean, it's just one more piece of information, right? I mean, anybody who's traded long enough got surprised by, you know, I won't call it a black swan event in this case, but something you didn't expect. You know, maybe it was a flash crash. You know, maybe it was long-term capital. Maybe, you know, there's a there's hundred different things. There's, you know, people selling mortgages, um, subprime mortgages to, to people who don't exist. You know, things tend to go to an excess. And, um, and when you're a hedge fund, you've been burned by all of those things at some point or at least have traders who have been, and, and you just learn from it and say, okay, now if I'm going to take a short position, particularly based off of valuation, then if somebody piles in, I'm at risk. And they'll build that into their framework and you'll probably see less of it or they'll monitor, you know, they'll t- use AI and NLP and they'll monitor every single um, discord and every single um, um, forum and just listen. And when something happens, they'll bail out. Right. Or bail in for that matter. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Uh, JJ, what do you think? You, you think the, um, the hesitation from some of these guys to go short or that's not really too much of a concern for them? Like like Mark saying, it's kind of just being a one-off type of event. I think it's, yeah, it's probably a one-off type of event. These guys also, when they're playing with other people's money, they don't hesitate as much as you and I do. No, no, you're right. But that, see, that's a different issue, JJ. As you know, they got to hit their benchmarks. Exactly. Because if you don't hit your numbers, you're gone anyways. That's and true. so the moral hazard is completely different than if it's your own money. But for those who treat it or trade their own money, um, you got to take it into consideration because you're, mm. you're trying to do the work and trying to figure out, okay, is it because it's low float, high short, you know, or on the flip side, can I just buy some in order to capture the VIG for the rebate? Because there's stocks that I own, you know, and I'm getting a, that I think are okay, maybe not phenomenal, but I'm getting 14, 15, 20, 25% you know, in rebate money. And, you know, so there's, there's multiple ways to play it. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. The short squeeze, I miss doing those. (laughs) (laughs) If if you ever need a guy to engineer a short squeeze, I'm your man. You know, I'm good, but I appreciate it. (laughs) Just for fun. Yeah. yeah. It's funny because he always says this, Mark, it's like a, well, like hedge funds, like the only industry you can like lose, like, uh, I forgot how you phrase it, Jay, but you can lose someone else's money, go on vacation and then get more money. Yeah, when you come back, right? When you come back. You know, and what's even friends. better, what, you know what's even better? Like if you're a, a family of funds, you just close the bad ones and pretend they never happened, right? <laughs> you know, so you, you, you have a fund that lost 35% and you have five others that made 6%. Yeah. The, third, the last one is just disappears. It's gone. <laughs> it's gone JJ Gorilla, right? It, it, exactly. It's gone. It's gone. <laughs> 
Is God, uh, Mark? I want you wrote an article uh, surrounding the this uh, kind of events, and and I I like the quote from it, and I wanted to ask you a little bit uh, more about it. You said there there are inefficiencies and traditions in every marketplace that have become so ingrained by the power players that they literally think they are rules that most, if not all, participants will follow. Can you just elaborate on that? Yeah, just what I just said earlier. I mean, you've got banks, you've got brokerages that this is the way they've always done it. And, maybe, you know, when I say that, maybe it's over the last five, six, seven, eight, ten 10 years, you know, since, you know, they made some changes for the financial crisis, but then you get into habits, you know, and you just keep on doing and you keep on going back to what works thinking, you know, as long as, you know, nothing crazy happens. Um, but because crazy can happen now, things can move so, so much more quickly. So people look at GME you know, some, I did it, someone interviewed me and said, well, you wouldn't pay for, you know, it was at um, 50, I think, which gave it like a $4 billion plus 2 billion in debt. You wouldn't pay $4 billion plus the 2 billion in debt, would you? And I said, well, you know what? I'm thinking about it. And I was hoping it would fall more and it just never came my way. Um, and, and I said, let me just ask you a question because I actually read the conference call and, and I read the, the filings and I'm like, this company did $1.3 billion in e-commerce sales and that was up 309% or whatever it was. Now, I'm guessing I can find a bunch of e-commerce companies out there trading for more than four times sales, right? Mm -hmm. 1.3 Definitely. Definitely, right? So if you're telling me that I can just close the retail stores or they're not that big a drain and they add to, um, they're accretive in their own indirect way to e-commerce, shit, if they grow 50% next year, 50 bucks is cheap. And they're like, well, this is crazy, all these small-time investors. I'm like, dude, you're the small-time investor because you haven't even read the conference calls, transcripts. You haven't read the filings. You haven't read any of the documents, anything around that. So, you know, don't laugh at the little guy because they know how to read and you're too lazy to read. <laughs> exactly. You know, and so you can do the work. And when you get people communicating that stuff on a board um, and, it, and it's valid and it works, it's good. And that's why you've seen GME hold up and you got a dude, Ryan Cohen, putting in his own money, tens of millions or whatever, 13 million. I forget what it was of his own money. What does that tell you? Yeah, it's at a lower valuation, but it's not like he, he's in there still working, you know, thinking the stock's not going to go up from here. So, you know, and that's why GME worked and maybe AMC and, and Bed Bath and Beyond didn't work. Yeah, Mark, uh, the, the gaming sector, I know, is uh, projected to you know look good in the future i know you're invested in a sports data company that i believe i saw it's going public via right. SPAC. um because i've heard people argue you know that gen z is not uh so much into uh sports or maybe viewership is down but i think people are sleeping on the gaming obviously like the, the analytics uh you know being an analytic age uh sports betting fantasy sports um i guess you're seeing things the same way yeah, I mean, look, I'm passive in that investment with Sports Radar, yeah. but um, you're right. I mean, data drives a lot of things and all sports. And it's not that kids, um, younger kids, are are not into sports as much. They're just into sports differently, right. you know. So my eleven, four, my eleven year old son, fourteen and seventeen year old daughters, they get their sports on TikTok. They're not going to sit there and run watch a two hour game. You know, maybe if I'm screaming and yelling and it's the Mavs, they'll, you know, they'll have it on and they'll watch, but, um, or they'll catch the ending. But, you know, the NBA, what sets us apart is we're a player driven league. Everybody knows Steph Curry. Everybody knows LeBron. Everybody knows Luca. Everybody knows Zion. 
everybody, you know, you've got a good feeling. If you play 2K, you know all 15 players on almost every team. You know, and if you're into NFTs, if you're into social media, you know, LeBron and Luca, et cetera, have got bigger followings than me and most people, you know, and most celebrities. And so there's that connection from social that just in, in gaming that no other sport has. And so, you know, I think with sports radar and data, you know, it's going to feed, you know, uh, fantasy sports and 2K and all the data there. But I, I think just the, the social media aspect of it and by extension, the NFTs are going to keep it popular with kids just in ways we didn't know before. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's funny, like when I was getting like, you know, ready for this podcast, I, everywhere I'm like looking like Ted Leonis is involved with uh, certain things. Just, yeah, so he's into gaming, streaming and and yeah, internet stuff. So that's his gig. Sharp he's guy. done great by it. Yeah, he got me into sports radar. So I'm grateful. Yeah, sharp guy. He seems like yeah, a sharp he really guy. really is. Yeah, he really is. Following what he's going to do. JJ, I was about to hit some miscellaneous questions now for Mark. Uh, do, you, do you got anything else before we move on? Um, yeah, just yeah. wanted to really quickly uh, touch on, uh, you know, the research that you're founding, uh, you know, funding for, um, for heart AFib. disease. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, I have AFib. I didn't know I had it <laughs> for a oh, long wow. time until it, it, you know, knocked me down. Um, and there, there's no cure for it. And so I just started funding um, some research um, with UCSF in California to try to find out what the trigger, not just the triggers, but what the causes are, because we don't know. Um, I mean, you can deal with it through ablation, you can deal with it through other things, but you know, it, it, it could just wipe you out. I mean, I, I've gone into episodes, the day Dirk retired, um, the night before we were supposed to have his big 41211 event, um, I went into a hardcore AFib and they literally had to zap me at six o'clock the morning of um, to get me back into rhythm. And, you know, I've had arrhythmias and dealing with that shit ever since. Um, and it's not always, it's not constant AFib like some people have. So I'm really lucky. Um, and I, I figured out what most of my triggers are, but I still have arrhythmias. And, you know, so I, anything I can try to do to help. Do you have to deal with AFib, JJ? I had it a little bit. I mean, I had a quintuple bypass. So, um, at that kind of, yeah, that kind of changes all that. Yeah. So <laughs> I hope you're okay, my guy. Oh yeah. Well, my girlfriend is an anesthesiologist and she's got me on a healthy lifestyle and I've yeah. dropped, dropped a bunch of weight and good for you. you know, so yeah. Yeah. yeah you got to do it, man. You got to get your diet, right? That's 99% oh. of everything. Yeah. That's the worst part about sitting in a date in a chair, watching screens. Yeah. It's not that exactly right. Stuff. Cause yeah, that's exactly <laughs> like me. I used to have my bridge terminal and I would just eat shit all day oh, long until i just turned into a beefcake <laughs> well thank you for that that research Ed. Yeah, the pleasure. other thing i wanted to just quickly touch on is the whole dilution thing because we got a lot of people who trade those lower price stocks if you could just tell them you know if they actually hear it from someone that they they respect um you know about not buying into the dream of these companies that are diluting shareholders yeah that, that's the craziest part right you know particularly the pump and dump stocks right they're, yeah. you know, they have a bill, you know, it's a, a nickel a share and you start dreaming, right? If it only goes up to a quarter, yeah. I can afford to buy a million shares for $50, right? Exactly. <laughs> and if it only goes up to a quarter, you know, and, yeah. you know, it never does. Yeah. And you, you saw people trading bankrupt stocks. Oh my God. Oh, now, but that, but that's all the definition of a pump and dump, right? Somebody starts talking about it, having bottom at, you know, one tenth of a penny and owning 10 million shares and they're pumping it 
to try to get it up to a nickel or a dime or a quarter. Exactly. And it never works. Bad companies, no matter how many shares of stocks you buy, they're still going to stay bad. Yeah. You know, and and it's just, and you got to pay attention to all that stuff. You got to look at the flow. You got to, you know, read what's coming out and what they're doing and, you know, who the people are um, because just the pumps on all this shit. And, you know, the other thing is <laughs> if, a, a, if a company is in a hot area multiple times, yeah. like they went from this to that to blockchain <laughs> to NFTs, yeah. you know, the more they pivoted, the worse it is. Um, Especially if so it's many, a mining company. Yeah, yeah. There's <laughs> just, you know, there's just so many tells on these scams. You know, they have one PhD, one guy yeah. who was a PhD, right? Yeah. That, that, you know, maybe, you know, and they hired somebody who went to MIT, not to go to college. <laughs> they went to pick up a sandwich at MIT. Right? Just, exactly. Yeah, just dumb shit, right? Yeah, yeah, he went to MIT in the small print to pick up a sandwich for a friend, you know? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. But we disclosed it. Yeah, we disclosed it. It was baloney. That's so funny. I, I think, Jay, I think that's why, like, like, you know, Mark, since I got with him and he really mentored me, it's like I can't unsee it now. And I find myself being so biased towards short-sighted trades because you, you see it, you know, it's, you can't unsee it now. I used to love, I used to love shorts, but I never really did valuation shorts, mm -hmm. right? Because particularly in a bull market, it's almost impossible. Right. Put aside the GME stuff where it's, you know, small float um, and you can get short squeezed. It's valuations in 1% interest rate world aren't, aren't going to be like they were five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. But just like I mentioned, UTech and Computer Marketplace, there's still fraud companies out there. And, you know, they get blown up to, you know, $800 billion market caps. And if you can figure out a company's a fraud, like on my watch list, I've got a whole bunch of companies that I've made some money on that now trade at zero. And that's the way you want them because they were frauds. Right. And, you know, that's the value of short selling. Um, you know, you can find you can find frauds because all those people who do pump and dumps and JJ, you know, this better than anybody. They just travel from one to other. They may change their name even, but somewhere exactly. along the line, somewhere along the line, they've got their buddies that they brought in for PR that yep. they brought in to pitch this, to move that, that worked at this brokerage or that brokerage, you know, and those, some of those names stay the same. And if you can just follow them some, then you have a chance to make some money. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's funny. There's, if you ever watch a movie with James Garner, 1967, called The Wheeler Dealers, it it outlines how to do a penny stock fraud in 1967. It is fascinating. Wheeler Dealers. Okay, I have to check it James out. James Garner, Rockford. Rockford. No, I know who he is. Yeah, for but, sure. Crazy. Insane. All right. Uh, JJ, we'll, we'll move on to uh, the miscellaneous questions. Rapid fire here, Mark. We'll get you going on your way. Okay. All right. All right. Uh, what's your favorite movie or television cameo you've done? Entourage. Oh, yeah. close, we, were just, we were just talking about that. Yeah, close second is Sharknado 3. Yeah, Sharknado 3. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, advice on time management. Um, I do everything via email and my unread becomes my tickler file. And I just keep on grinding at it till it's empty. All right. Over. Uh, this might be a tough one. We'll do like a little uh, like a uh, prop bet type of thing here, right? Uh, over under on how many times you'll get fined by the NBA for the remainder of your life. I'm putting, ah. I'm putting on five and a half over under five and a half over, over. <laughs> <laughs> it's 
Um, if you had to pass your ownership of the Mavs over to somebody, who would you want replacing you? My kids right now. Yeah, my kids. Hopefully they'll be into it. Okay. All right. And last one. Uh, what book has inspired you to rethink one of your core beliefs or assumptions? That's interesting. Um, Got to look over there. I don't know, to rethink. I mean, this book called The Master Algorithm, which is about AI. I never was a big AI fan until like four years ago when I read this book. Mm -hmm. And it helped me to understand how it could be used. And so I went from thinking, okay, AI is way in the future to, all right. And, you know, and it also applies to stocks. And I'll just cover this real quick. Like my investment theme, and when it comes to um, big caps in particular and tech stocks specifically, is who has the best AI? Because if you look at the big cap stocks, you know, the FANGs plus, the, the companies that have outperformed and keep on making money are the ones that have been in AI the longest and are the best at it. Because AI is hard and there's a lot of bullshit. And so when you start hearing about companies doing AI, particularly small caps, it's a lie, right? Because AI is expensive and AI oh. is hard. And so when someone comes at you and says, well, these guys are great at AI, right? They've got a $60 million market cap and $1.2 million in the bank that they just raised through private equity or private funding. Nah, you know, because even in the pitches I get for private companies, you know, you might have one smart person, maybe two smart people, but just making it all work is far more expensive. And so we're, we're bifurcating into a public company world, even private company of AI haves and AI have nots. And it's hard to be go from being a have not to a have without spending a whole lot of money and time. Wow, interesting. So that's that's a big factor, if not the deciding factor, is who has the best AI or who's. Wow, interesting. What was it? What was the name of the book again, Mark? The Master Algorithm. The Master Algorithm. Excellent. Excellent. Good stuff, JJ. Uh, parting parting words for our man. Oh, thank you. It has been, it's like a, a breath of fresh air. Thank you very it's much. It's fun, man. I had a good time, JJ. This was great. We really, really appreciate your my insight pleasure. and your wisdom. Thank you so much. Yeah, my pleasure. It was fun. Awesome. All right. That's going to conclude today's episode of Confessions of a Market Maker. If you guys enjoyed the podcast, please rate and review it for us. If you like to trade alongside professional and fun group of traders, join JJ and I at microefutures.com. Mark. Let the listeners know where to find you. Anything else you want them to know? Everything. All my social media is mcuban, and you can see the companies I'm in at markcuban.com. Mark, uh, so much. Uh, just uh, ecstatic. Thanks for coming on. Yeah. And uh, it's just it's real inspiring how much you stay plugged in, even though with the level of success that you have, because you see a lot of people, uh, they don't. They, they, they fall into their own traps of like they're, you know, the greatest, you know, God's greatest gift. You stay plugged in and it's, it's, it's Yeah, you got to, you got to, otherwise someone's going to kick your ass. Absolutely. Appreciate it, Mark. All, All right, right so boys. Appreciate it guys. Thank you. All right. Thank you. For Mark Cuban. I'm Paulie Walnuts. He's the grill of house street. You stop. So. <laughs> great, that man. was great. That was great.